This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey there, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Prim, and I'm a small animal veterinarian and crazy cat lover. I have a great guest with me today, Steve Dale, and Steve is a radio host himself. He is a public speaker. He is a writer, and he is also a certified animal behavior consultant, which is why I invited him to talk with us today about destructive clawing, because everyone that has a cat knows that this is an issue. So we are going to take a quick break and then come back with Steve to talk about destructive clawing. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. I have Steve Dale with me. Hi, Steve. Hey, good day. How are you? I am excellent. I'm so happy to have you today. Well, thanks. You know, this is really an incredibly important topic, a topic I've been talking about for a very long time. And I suppose this is a good place to start because, you know, some people actually do not know what a declaw is. So right now, I want you to give me the finger. Well, maybe not that one, but just point at using any fingers you have. And from there, either you or I can explain what a declaw is, Dr. Prim. Well, I don't think people realize that it is literally the amputation of the last part of the finger or toe of the cat from that last joint out. So it is very, very invasive. And I don't think people realize I think that gets minimized. So excellent point. You know, amputation is exactly the right word. I mean, declaw, that's the term we've been using for decades and decades, and that's fine. And by the way, let me back up a couple steps. So declaw was actually, I live in Chicago. It was a Chicago veterinarian way back when, let's see, uh, 1960, 40, 50, 60 years ago, approximately. As cats were being brought indoors, this actually coincides with the invention of something called cat litter. So cats were brought inside more often because cat litter was created and people wanted to live with their cats, but uh-oh, people found out that cats scratch. And this is before scratching posts were invented. So cats used what they could, which included furniture. And one veterinarian, a Chicago veterinarian, thought of this idea, began doing this in his practice and wrote about it in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association without any research 
as to whether there could be harmful effects, how to deal with the pain of declaw. And can you imagine back in the day, today we have better analgesics, better ways to at least control pain in cats. But back then, it was really very limited. So can you imagine? And the techniques have been at least, if you're going to do a declaw, do it right. Not that I want anyone to do declaws, but the techniques hadn't been yet perfected. So imagine the chopping off of parts of paws. I mean, that's essentially what it was. The tendons themselves amputating without the kind of pain control we'd like to see that would have occurred back in the day. And imagine publishing something without any research. You know, it was a different era. Well, studies eventually were done. And those early studies said, you know what? Essentially, there's no real problem here. We can control pain if we pay attention to it. Whether that's actually true or not, that depends on your opinion of pain control at the time. And now I'm not going back quite as many years, but still I'm going back quite a ways. And behaviorally, no problem. Well, those were the studies in the 1990s, essentially 19, even late 1980s. By the time we hit the year 2000, the tone and the results of these studies have changed a lot. And I do mean a lot. And I can go through some of the research and some of the data. And if you'd like me to, I, I will. But I want to back up one step and make an important point of a word you used. And it's right. Amputation. So again, bend any finger at the, at the last knuckle. And that's being cut off all of your cat's fingers, if you will. I mean, it's not just like flipping the nails. A lot of people know that, but they don't know what it is. Today, we use the term phantom pain to describe when a human amputee victim feels pain. And at one time, the doctors said, oh, well, that can't be. I mean, the limb isn't even there anymore. How can they feel pain? And it was kind of laughed at. Today, the notion of phantom pain, which is a kind of neuropathic pain, is not at all laughed at in the human medical field. And amputee victims, and if you know one, or maybe you're one yourself, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And happily, at least there's medication that can help. It doesn't help all people all the time, and it doesn't help all people completely, but it does for many provide at least some room. Well, cats are wired exactly the same way we are. So if we feel this phantom pain, cats do too. And I'll pause for a moment, but that's, that's what I want people to think about for starters. And I can offer much more. So I want to throw out another word that is controversial, but I believe accurate, and that is mutilation. I personally do not perform the declaw surgery because it is brutal and it is painful. And I can only imagine having all of my fingers amputated at the last digit and still being expected to perform my daily tasks like nothing had happened. So that is why I wanted you here today, because I want to talk about alternatives and I want people to understand how brutal this procedure really is and then have hope that this is not the only choice. So, and I know that you have some really, really good ideas, but can we talk a little bit about why cats do scratch? Oh, sure. That's a great question. So cats are hardwired to scratch. Even after a cat is declawed, they still go through the motion of it. And here's what happens when cats scratch. First of all, they're communicating by depositing pheromones, interdigital pheromones, which they have between their paw pads. So it is like you writing a blog or communicating in a podcast. 
Cats communicate in this manner. They are hardwired to do it. That's the first thing. The second thing is that it is a way for them, they actually keep their claws in condition. So the sheaths, the tops of the claws wear off, and this is a way for them to get them off. It feels good, presumably. Cats, when they reach up and give a good scratch, and by the way, the best scratching post now, I could talk about this, are ones that cats can actually stretch and reach up and get a good, good scratch. That seems to be something that feels good for cats. They're positively experience, probably experiencing positive endorphins just racing through their heads. Another thing is it's another, as a means of communication, when they're excited, they do scratch. And this is something that, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the miscommunications between humans and cats. So you come home, you've worked a long day. Whew, I'm tired. I've come home. I've worked such a long day. You put your key in the door, you walk in the house, and the cat's near the door, and then the cat runs in the other direction. Dogs, they run to you. They say, hey, I missed you all day. I'm jumping all over you. I'm kissing you all over. I'm so happy to see you. Their butts are wiggling. Cats generally don't do that. They run the other way, and they may scratch hopefully on a scratching post. This is why having a scratching post near a door that you frequently enter the home is important because otherwise the cat will choose a sofa or a chair, whatever happens to be there. And they go scratch, scratch, scratch. What they are saying in cat language is I'm happy to see you. So cats express emotions by scratching as well. I love that. It's like a celebratory scratch. And for people that really watch their cats, they can kind of start to read that joy. And I mean, it makes me happy to see a cat do that because it makes me feel good. So, okay, now let's take a quick break and then come back and talk about your favorite products and scratching posts and ways to get cats to scratch appropriately. So let's take a a quick break. Hey, everyone, Michelle Fern here. Can't wait to tell you about Diggs Revel Collapsible Dog Crate. Yes, I said dog crate. Having the Diggs Revel Dog Crate was so wonderful when I was fostering some new kitties in my home. You know, I already have several cats in my home and cats are territorial. So to get them used to the new kitties, I used the Diggs Revel Collapsible Dog Crate, which was heaven sent. It was wonderful. This is why. It's designed with safety first, no injuries to paws or jaws. It's convenient, sets up in a minute, and it literally can be raised and collapsed with one hand. It transports easy, and it's super easy to clean. And it looks great too, blends right into your home, just like a piece of furniture. And if you're traveling this summer, check out Diggs Five Star Crash Tested Passenger Travel Carrier. It's small enough to fit right under your airline seat, but your kitty can fit in and have plenty of space. Make your pets more comfortable with Diggs wonderful products. And for a limited time, get 15% off your entire Diggs order. Go to Diggs.pet and use promo code PETLIFE15. That's D-I-G-G-S dot pet with promo code PETLIFE15 to get 15% off your entire order. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. Dot com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat on Pet Life Radio. 
So Steve Dale, um, one of my favorite guests, is here to talk about destructive clawing in cats and what we can do about that. So he and I were just discussing that it makes us happy and it makes our cats happy for us to come home and they might scratch as a display of that. So, and you mentioned that you like scratching posts that encourage the upward reach. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Oh, sure. I'm happy to do it. Let me just very, very quickly add add one more thing without going through a whole long medical explanation and offering citations for dozens of studies that are now out. Cats that are declawed are more likely to urinate outside the litter box for a variety of different reasons. One, it may hurt to use the litter box. Their gait changes as they age. So all cats, let me rephrase that, many cats, certainly not all cats, but actually many cats and arguably most cats will suffer from some, we know this now, osteoarthritis as they age. That is exasperated, it seems, when cats are declawed. When cats are declawed, because it hurts to walk in a certain manner, over time, their gait actually changes. And that actually enhances the chances of cats being arthritic. Cats are living longer than ever before, which is a wonderful thing. When cats are declawed, that arthritis I just spoke about is even more likely to be more prominent as the cat ages. All of this is really important. Even older cats that have lived in your home for 15 years, if that cat begins to urinate outside the litter box, if the cat is that old, it may mean early euthanasia. If the cat is a bit younger and say seven years old and missing the box, the cat may be given up to an animal shelter. Also, I mentioned arthritis. None of us want our cats to be in pain. This is more likely to happen when cats are declawed and even diabetes of all things is more often to occur. With less ability or wanting to move around, not the cats are that aerobic, but they do move around. They do exercise some, but less in general if they are declawed, then that cat is more likely to be overweight or obese, which means diabetes. Also, a cat that's in pain, and by the way, cats always don't show us they're in pain. So a cat that's in pain over a longer course of time, that cortisol that occurs and occurs and occurs because the cat is in pain, chronic pain every single day. And if you know someone or perhaps yourself have suffered from chronic pain, I mean, that's a big deal, except you can control it. You can talk to your doctor about it. Cats often are so stoic, so adept at masking pain. We truly don't know that they are in pain. And even a quote, low level of pain over a course of time means more cortisol. That can mean diabetes just because of that. And there are studies that show all of these things. And I said studies on purpose. Today, multiple studies to show all these things that I just spoke about. Now, to answer your question, yes, the first thing we do is we want to make, if the cat is scratching and it inappropriate, defined by us, the cat is just a fine place to scratch. That chair, that sofa, that heirloom, that great grandma passed down, whatever it might be, that place you don't want the cat to scratch seems fine for the cat. So we have to offer alternatives that are appealing and we have to make those places where the cat is scratching where we don't want the cat to scratch unappealing. We can make those places unappealing in all sorts of different ways. If the cat is scratching at a sofa, for example, right now I'm sitting at my desk in my office and I have one of those plastic, you know, that you put the chairs on and the chair slides. because I've got this plastic thing underneath. I once flew out the window, it's so slidey. Well, if you turn it upside down, you've got those little nubbies on it. 
cats don't like walking on anything that feels uncomfortable, including those little nubbies. So turning that upside down and draping that over a chair or a sofa, car mats, if it's a smaller area, because car mats aren't that big, but they've got those little nubbies underneath it, turn one over. The cats won't walk on that. Some people try aluminum foil draped everywhere. Well, when company comes over, it's easy to take off what I'm talking about. Not so easy to take off like 100 pieces of aluminum foil. Also, well, that works for some cats. For many cats, they don't care about the crinkly sound the aluminum foil makes. My point, though, is, and there are other things that you can do, too, to make it unappealing for the cat to scratch at those places. One more thing, if the cat is scratching at the side of the sofa, there are now products available, products, plural, at amazon.com that are scratchers that you simply can put over the side of a sofa. So think about this arm, I think, what is it called? The arm of a sofa or the back of a chair. Now they have products that on the back of the chair, right in that same place, the cat can scratch, but it can be on a scratcher device. Now, and they're not expensive. If that is not appealing to you, of course, a scratching post. A big question is, well, how many scratching posts do I need? Where do I put them? And I can answer those if you'd like, because I'm just going on and on and on here, Dr. Prim. Well, I wanted to, to come back to something that you were saying about the osteoarthritis and the, the sequela to declawing. You know, um, part of my decision to discontinue doing those procedures, and it was a long time ago, but part of it was, of course, my affiliation with Fear Free. And we know that that is just an unacceptable procedure. But before that, long before that, I treated multiple cats that were declawed really before I came into practice and I x-rayed their, their little feet. And it was so devastating to me to see those images and see just the mutilation and, and the awful consequences of that, that I had decided to stop doing those procedures even before it became a requirement at Fear Free as a Fear Free certified practice. People just don't know and people love their cats. And so that's the reason I wanted to bring you here today, because there are definitely things that we can do, and you just need to be patient to teach the cat what is appropriate. Indeed. I agree with all that. And I could talk about additional ways to actually teach cats to scratch in all the right places and, and what you can do. But for scratching posts, we don't know the answer to this for sure. For litter boxes, we believe that if you have three cats, you need four boxes. If you have two cats, you need three boxes. It's the number of boxes you need is the number of cats you have plus one. So if you have 17 cats, in theory, I hope you don't have 17 cats, but if you do, you need 18 litter boxes. It's one more than the number of cats in the home. For scratching posts, it's the same thing. We believe. We're assuming. We think. There's no studies to demonstrate this, but it's a good idea or seems to work. So if you have two cats, three scratching posts, I'm talking about vertical scratching posts. It's important where the scratching posts, plural, are located. And I will tell you, I mean, we have one cat and I'm counting now in my head, we have four posts and, and we live in a condo. It's, you know, nice and spacious for Chicago, but it's not, not like a great big house up in the country, you know, and we have four posts, you know, uh, giving cats plenty of choices. That's important. Putting a post at least near, very close is better. To where the cat is currently scratching, if the cat is scratching somewhere you don't like, is a very important idea. But also putting one near a doorway that people come in, as I spoke about at the beginning, cats are likely to scratch in certain places. They also scratch, I missed one here, when you ask me why cats scratch, it's simply sometimes to stretch when they get up. So cats get up 
five times a day, some older cat 15 times a day, right? From all the cat naps and they get up and they need a good scratch, just like we need a good stretch. Uh, they do stretch while they scratch. So a place where the cat frequently sleeps and snoozes, that's a good place as well. You don't want, for your own sake, probably as much as anything else, a scratching post in the middle of a room. But we definitely want to think about rooms we're in frequently, that the cat is also infrequently. And those are places where we would a post as well. Now, along with those vertical posts, and by the way, sturdy is important. Cat goes to scratch, post falls on the cat. Cat's not going to do it again. So a sturdy post with a good heavy base. What should the post be consisting of? Well, again, research is somewhat limited, but we do have some research. All cats are individuals. Most cats, most of the time, like sisal or sisal, or maybe where you live, you'd say sisal y'all. But whatever you call it, it's that ropey stuff that goes around the post. Carpeting is the second choice, probably because that's the second most common thing that we find in posts. Some cats here and there have generalized and begin to scratch at the carpet. Not only the carpet on the post, the carpet in your living room or your dining room, which we don't want. But most cats don't do that, but it can happen. So sisal seems to be, or sisal, that ropey stuff, the most common preferred choice for most cats most of the time. Ideally, the post should be high enough where the cat can reach up and get a good stretch. So there are posts that are made, just like litter boxes, by the way, and I think we've talked about this, just generally aren't made large enough. Well, the same is true for scratching posts not made high enough. That is, I am happy to say, changing. But try to choose a post within your budget, and posts have come down a bit in cost. Now everything's gone up in cost, but overall, posts have gone down a little bit. And the higher, to some extent, the higher, the better. Also, some posts, and I would have one of these if you can afford to do it in your house, but it's also a play area. So there's a scratching area, but there's toys dangling and there's a napping place because then you're, you know, cats like to scratch after they play. And as I said, after they nap and you're providing an all-in-one playground for the cat in that way. You know, it's funny, you know, those little welcome mats that are made out of, oh yes. sisal, you know, yes. um, that was Scamper's favorite. Now it was flat on the ground, but he just loved that thing. And so we certainly, it got to looking pretty rough, but, but we couldn't get rid of it because it was his favorite and that that's affordable. People can certainly provide that. Yeah, that's a great idea. So I talked about vertical posts, having at least one horizontal post is a good idea as well. That a lot of them are very inexpensive, just, I don't know, less than $10. And they even have corrugated places where you could drop catnip in. Catnip can, by the way, encourage cats to scratch. And I could talk about how to encourage cats to scratch vertically or horizontally in a moment. But those horizontal posts are sometimes made out of just simply corrugated cardboard. But I do know people, Dr. Prim, who have done just what you said. They've purchased those welcome mats and put two or three around their house because the ones made of sisal or that straw-y material, I don't know if it's sisal per se, but that straw material, you all know what I'm talking about. They're not expensive. Some of them are actually kind of pretty. They have flowers on them and things like that. Uh, one has the Tower of Pizza I saw in someone's house. So they're in Italy, even though they happen to be located in Arkansas. You know, So people can accept, and the cats oftentimes like those. And you can further encourage cats to scratch or teach cats to scratch this way. Now, when kittens are of a certain age, this is ideally, now not everyone gets a cat as a kitten, 
and some cats have been scratching in all the wrong places and you want to redirect them. But when kittens happen to be kittens, this is really the best time. But no matter how old the cat is, what the cat is doing, as I said way early on, they're depositing pheromones. So if you can get the cat to scratch just Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at that particular place, depositing those pheromones on the paw pads, interdigital pheromones, that's what they're called, then cats being cats say, oh, it's mine. It's mine. No, it is mine. And that is what you want. Now, how do you encourage cats to do that? You could take a interactive cat toy with feathers of fabric at the end and wave it in front of the scratching post. Some cats will bat at that. In fact, nearly every cat will, right? They'll bat at that. And accidentally, then they'll touch their paw pads to the scratching post and eventually perhaps get the idea. Some cats, uh, cats are really good observational learners. So it's kind of like monkey see, monkey do, except it's cat do, cat do. You scratch on the post or make a motion like you are. And some cats will actually do that as a result of that. I talked about location. Location is important. So if the scratching post is in the basement somewhere out of the way, the cat's not going to go down there when you're not around, probably, to scratch at the post. So putting a post in the first place in the proper location is really important. You can go through a process called clicker training of actually teaching a cat just about anything, including to scratch at the post. Now, some clients, some of you may be happy to do this, and it works. As others say, ah, it's too complicated, too confusing. So it depends. But what you do is you take a little box, looking around, oh, I happen to have one. This is amazing. It makes a noise like that. And my dog came running. <laughs> it makes a noise like that. And what you do is you offer a treat, offer a treat, offer a treat. Cat associates that with something really, really good, very special treat. And then you shape the behavior. You do this when the cat lifts the paw a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more toward the post. You can get a person, by the way, to do anything. It's not a clicker. It's $5. So let's say you're, you're next to me in a room and I want you to get up and walk to the other side of the room. And you know I want some behavior. So you look at me, you look at me, I don't do anything, I don't do anything. You finally stand up, I give you five bucks. You stand up and you walk in the opposite direction that I want you to. I ignore you, I ignore you, but you turn around and you walk toward the other side of the room, at least in that direction. I give you five more, five more as you continue walking. So that's the idea for here. What we do is we give the cat $5 by giving the click. You don't have to give a treat every time. Intermittent reinforcement actually works best. That means reinforcing like you would Las Vegas, you know, with a slot machine. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't at the slot machine, right? That encourages us even more, motivates us even more to use the slot machine. Same with cats, actually. So as the cat scratches just a little bit or puts a pause up just a little bit, do that, touches the scratching post, do it again, touches the scratching post again, then kind of looks at you like you're crazy, don't do anything, touches the scratching post again. And you get the idea, we can actually teach our cats to scratch this way. Once a cat gets it, not only have they delivered those pheromones to the scratching post, so the post says, this is yours, essentially. But in addition to that, it feels good for the cats, as I described earlier, to do this. And cats usually will continue to use that post if it's an appropriate post at the appropriate place. So I want to kind of make a point about that because I'm afraid listeners are going, oh my gosh, I can't do that. But really, it doesn't take long. Cats are very bright. 
And it's super fun to bond with your cat and to work. It's it's like a game to teach your cat something. So I'd encourage all the listeners to give that a shot. You'll be surprised. I agree. But having said that, as I described, you could simply take a toy and wave the toy near the post. And eventually the cat will begin to touch the post and maybe begin to scratch at the post. Uh, You could rub catnip on the post. Some cats, it depends on the cat, but many cats well then, wow, this is exciting. They get so excited by the cat that they begin to scratch at post. The key is to get your cat to do this three, four times. I don't know what the magic number is. There's been no study on that, and it varies from cat to cat. But if you can get your cat to scratch just several times at the post, then it becomes your cat's, and your cat will get the idea. And simultaneously, for cats that are scratching at places we deem inappropriate, make those places uncomfortable for the cat to scratch. So now this becomes a better choice. I read a study that citrus scents are aversive to cats. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe if you had citrus air freshener that you sprayed on the places you didn't want, I don't know. I mean, it might work for your cat, but it smells good to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I've recommended that. So there are citrus spritzes. I don't know what they're called that you, that you can buy. Just make sure that it's safe for the fabric that, you know, because we don't want you to use your, ruin your sofa. But if it is, then, you know, so I don't know if I'd recommend that for leather or not. I'm no expert on that kind of thing. <laughs> but, 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 but if it works and it, it's not going to harm the furniture, then yeah, that can, that can work because cats generally don't like it. Now, having said that, the habit of scratching may be so entrenched that while the cat doesn't like the scent, the cat will still scratch. What I like about placing something like a plastic desk thing or uh, the car mats or something of that nature over it, cat cannot possibly scratch. So even if the cat ignores those little nubbies and says, oh, this is hugely uncomfortable, usually they don't. Usually they jump on and jump right off. But if, if the cat doesn't, it's impossible for the cat to scratch at plastic. That's beneficial in a couple of ways. First of all, cat more quickly learns this is not, I I can't do this, but also it saves your furniture from further damage. Yes, I love it. So, you know, we could talk all day because this is such an important topic, (laughs) but I think we probably ought to kind of stop there. I really appreciate your time though. You're always so much fun to have and, um, and I know how busy you are. I'm happy to communicate on this topic anytime. I do want to say that I give huge props to Fear Free for saying if you want to be fear free as a veterinary practice or a veterinarian, D-Claw is incompatible with Fear Free. More information about D-Claw and more importantly, what you can do behaviorally to teach your cats to scratch in all the right places at fearfreehappyhomes.com. Similarly, cat-friendly practices, which I'm a supporter of, they've said in a very strong way, D-Claw is incompatible with being cat-friendly. They have more information at catfriendly.com as well. So we have some cities that have banned declawing, and I think it's it's becoming more and more. I mean, I think that this barbaric procedure is on its way out. And so this information that we talked about today is going to be even more important. So thanks again. Thank you. And thank you to all of my listeners. Oh, and I forgot my amazing producer, Mark Winter. Always thanks to him. Everyone go out and have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.